Hey, if you'd remain standing with me as we read the scriptures together, we're in a series called Discovering the Heart of Jesus. And so we're looking at the words of Jesus about why he came. And uh, we're going to start in uh, the letter that John wrote and then go to the gospel of John and the words of Jesus. And I'll explain how that all connects in a minute. You can follow along as I read out loud. First John, dear friends, we are, uh, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. Now, would you, uh, even if you're online with us or here in the room, would you read out loud with me verse 5? Would you say it out loud? Ready? But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. And I'll keep going on verse 6. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. That's referring to Jesus. And the one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And then would you read this last phrase out loud with me? The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And then keep going with me. John chapter 10, verse 10, the words of Jesus, one of his famous sayings about why he came. Would you read it aloud? The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. Well, I know we're in a little bit of a weird time because uh, it seems like our, our attendance is on a swing. It's like no COVID and then COVID. So if you're here in the room or joining us online, either way, we're just so pleased that you're with us. My name is Scott. I have the privilege of serving here as lead pastor. Well, we're talking uh, in this series about trying to, again, maybe again, or maybe for the first time, could we discover the heart of Jesus? Now, maybe for you, that's a, a, a rediscovery. Or maybe for you, you say, oh, I, I would like to understand the heart of Jesus. Jesus seems like this compelling person. And Jesus here in John uh, 10 is telling us about God's present activity in our lives. And, and not even the entire ministry of Jesus is about the availability of God. That's why Jesus came is to say, God's available to you where you are. And then here in verbal form, Jesus is saying it again. God is involved or wants to be involved in your present life. Now, and I don't know uh, if we fully see that. I've got a few challenges. Um, there are some groups that that take polls and statistics about the state of, uh, of the Church of Jesus in America. One of them is the Gallup Organization, and probably the most trusted polling organization. And they've just asked a lot of questions, and um, I can post this for you later today on my social media if you follow me. But they, they've uh, kind of mapped what are the changes in church membership by generation over time. And so they've kind of grouped it into, you know, they call it traditionalists, or we might say the greatest generation, baby boomers, Gen X, I'm in Gen X, and, and then millennials, and then Gen Z's not on there. And if you can kind of notice, I can kind of narrate this for you. They've, they've, they've said, what's the change in percentage of people who say, you know, I belong to a local church over time, and they measured from 1998 to the pandemic. And for that traditionalist group, that the, the, the dip is 11 points. 
11 points down. You see that? Baby boomers, same time, 1998, nine points down. Gen X, you know, my generation, 12 points. And then it says there, if you can see that, uh, it says for millennials, it's not applicable because not even from 1998, even a smaller time frame, what is that? Is that 14 points, 15 points? Is my math right? 14 points, 15 points? It's even less. Oh, I got another, another one for you here. Uh, in, in the vein of good news, everyone's like, ooh, that's great news, Scott. Um, in the vein of good news, you know, this is a, a change in the percentage of adults who would say, you know, if they're filling out a survey, are you religiously affiliated? And they're on the, it's the same, those same groups. So the traditionalists, you know, went from 4% uh, with, of traditionalists or the greatest generation in 1998 saying, no, I'm not affiliated, to now it's 7, 7%. Uh, the baby boomers from 7 to 13% now say, I have no religious affiliation. Gen X, my generation, from 11% to now 20%. The millennials from 22% of people to now 31%. And, and kind of in the footnotes down here is a note that Gen Z, uh, 33% of, of Gen Z say, I don't have any religious affiliation. I mean, that's pretty astounding. If you're like me and you love the church and you love the message of Jesus and you want to be close to the heart of Jesus, you're kind of like, what in the world's going on? And this is not a statement about this church. This is a statement about the church. And this is across the United States. And, and can, can I just kind of give you my interpretation of this? I, I, here's how I take that. Uh, the, the, the current generation, for lack of a better word, is just not here. It's like the youngest generation, they're just, they're not with us. And then the people that are in my phase of life and then the one generation below me are kind of doing, there's this word that gets floated around, they're kind of deconstructing their faith. I, I have a, a list, I mean, it is a long, long list of people that I knew from when I was a teenager to when I was in college. And, um, you know, I've kind of been connected to the church my entire life and and in, in high school, I remember some very dear friends who would have said, yeah, I'm, I'm part of a church. And in college, the same thing. And I, I mean, I, I, I've got a list. It is long of people who say, I, I really want nothing to do with the church anymore. Ah. And, and the same thing is happening with, with uh, the millennials. And I, this is my read, is that people are hurt. Uh, people are disillusioned. People are tired, and they're saying, does the church itself believe the message or not? I'm not sure the church itself believes the message. Now, I'm sure there's a, a subset of people who are like, I don't want nothing to do with God. But then, then we got this group of folks, the seasoned folks who've been here for a while and are trying to live faithful lives and, and maybe are not understanding why all of those things are happening. What in the world's happening in the world? I've had conversations with people in, in that phase of life, and, and I remember very vividly, wasn't here, some other place, this wonderful gentleman, he said, what in the world has happened in the world? I don't understand what's happening. And so here's why, here's why we feel the tension of this is because if you just know a little bit about the message of Jesus, you, you get that the message of Jesus is about the transformation of human life. And if there's this big swath of people and, and they're saying, they're self-reporting, that their lives aren't being transformed, then what do we do about the gap? How, how do we, what do we do about that? Now, let me, again, this is my opinion. You can take it or leave it. 
what's behind this. I, I think there's a, a piece of understanding about the message of Jesus that if you were to go back a while, you would find this true. And if, you're, if you've got notes and you're taking notes, it'll be on, in your notes and on the screen as well. But this is my assessment. Um, the message of Jesus is for here and now, not just there and then. We're going to unpack that over the course of this message this morning. The message of Jesus is for here and now, not just there and then. For, for a while, years, I would say decades, we've kind of talked about the message of Jesus, the, the gospel, as though it's only for eternity, and it is, and not really talked about or had handles on how to say it impacts the present. I remember growing up and being taught, you know, you're supposed to share your faith and and, um, and, and one very popular way to do that was uh, known as evangelism explosion. And evangelism explosion, this was back like the 70s, the 80s, is you, you were to go up to somebody and say to them, hey, if you died tonight, where would you spend eternity? That's a really powerful question. What's, what happened, though, in, in, I think in people's minds is they made the gospel into this fire insurance for later and it doesn't have much to do with today. Now, I'm, I'm not, hear me, I'm not trying to paint an either-or picture. I'm trying to say that Jesus in John 10, 10 is adding back the half that we've forgotten. Now, you've got to have a little background to understand this. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to kind of toggle from John's letter in 1 John um, to John's gospel in John 10.10, 10, because you, you kind of need to understand what Jesus is saying that you and I can be free from to hear his words and the power of them. And so I just, I want you to hear, we, we read some of them, and I'm going to put the, the salient points on the screen for you again um, as, as we look at the, the, the reason that Jesus appeared. Here's our John. Now, John wrote the gospel of John, and then he wrote these letters later in the New Testament, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And in 1st John, he's reflecting back on the ministry of Jesus. So he's giving us some reflection. And he says in 1st John 3, 5, I had you read it aloud. You know, he, Jesus appeared so that he could take away our sins. In other words, the choices that, that I make out of my desires that take me away from God. Jesus appeared to take that away. And then, John says, we read it together, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. We're going to talk about that in a second. And then, earlier in his letter, he says, don't love the world or anything in the world. If you love the world, the love for the Father is not in you. And, and so there are, uh, as people have read these words over the, the decades and the centuries, they've said, you know what, there's kind of these three forces that Scripture repeats over and over again that are, that are against us. And they are the, the flesh, the world, and the devil. I would call them three gateways of evil and suffering in our present world. If you want to explain, if you have a mechanism that explains why the world is broken in the ways that it is, I would say this is a powerful way to understand why the world is in the condition that it's in, these three gateways. So we're going to unpack these for a second, and then we're going to come back to the words of Jesus in John 10.10. And because I think it's important. I'm going to spend most of the time here on this, this first one, um, and then we'll kind of go through the other two kind of quickly to get to Jesus' words in John 10.10. 10. 
So the flesh, the world, and the devil. Now, Paul, the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Christians in Rome, you can read the book of Romans in the New Testament, um, he's kind of the one who brought this, this idea to the front in our, our uh, dictionary of human understanding. And this is, this is how he says, I'm going to give you a little portion of Romans chapter 8, verse 5. This is Paul's trying to say, this is this force, this is gateway that evil and suffering enter the world. And he says this in Romans 8, 5. He says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit, you could think about, you know, who's calling the shots is what he's saying. Those who who let the the spirit call the shots have their minds set on what the spirit desires. Now, I understand when I say the word flesh, we have a set of, you know, you know, interpretive lenses that we use to define that. And you might be think Paul's saying, you know, your skin and your bones. No, that's not what he's referring to. He's, he's talking about, I'll give you a blank if you're taking notes. He's talking about my sin. The flesh is my sin. And the, the, so the flesh is a, a mindset about my life and what I allow to drive me. What's pushing me? This is my definition of the flesh. I, I've kind of wrestled with it for a number of years, and I, I kind of see the accuracy of it more and more. I, this is how I describe it. The flesh is me needing satisfaction for what I feel right now. I think that explains a lot of things. It explains uh, social media. Um, it explains the power of potato chips. <laughs> And it explains things like gossip. Can I give you some examples? Can I talk to you about brain science for a second? This is my understanding. I checked this with with, um, the good Dr. Phil Newland this week just to make sure I wasn't getting this wrong. Your brain is a fascinating, fascinating organ. There are 86 billion neurons. I don't know who counted the 86 billion neurons, but they're, according to science, 86 billion neurons. And these neurons, they send messages to each other. Dr. Phil described it. He said it's like there's electrical wires without the end on the electrical wires. And so these chemical messengers jump the wire and send the message to the next neuron. And so there are different chemicals that come into your brain. One of those chemicals is called dopamine. I'm sure you've heard this gets thrown around in the media a lot. Dopamine. And dopamine is the feel-good chemical that gets released when you get a reward. And it makes your brain say, I would like more of that, please. So you've had a bad day. Things haven't gone the way you want. And sitting on the counter when you come into the kitchen is a bag of kettle chips. Now, this is the first of the year, and you're, you're like, I'm, I'm, this is the year I am losing. I am losing 15. Buy 15, and you've had a bad day. You walk in. There's the kettle chips. You want to feel good. You don't know how else to feel good, and you're like, give me some of those kettle chips. <laughs> right? And, and you, eat the kettle, you eat the kettle chips, and, and the dopamine floods, those, sends the message to the neurons, like, we feel good. You eat the chips. You feel good. You get the hit. 
you go on to social media and someone posts something you just don't agree with and you're like, that's so dumb. How idiotic are they? And you, and you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to post something about what they just said, the exact opposite. Cause I'm right. And they are wrong. And, and your brain anticipates when other people like it and go, yeah, that's so true. You're like, Oh yeah, I'm going to feel really good about that. And so you post it. And the dopamine gets sent back when the people start liking it or, or that you post a picture of your family and people start liking it, the dopamine hit <laughs> comes and you feel good. Or you're mad about something, you know, you don't agree with someone's decision in some place and, and, um, and, and it's someone that agrees with you shares a fact about that person or that situation that uh, that supports your opinion you, you don't verify the fact you don't go to see if it's actually accurate or correct you just accept what someone says about it because they agree with you and it's going to confirm your opinion and so you repeat it to somebody else like i heard well, i'll tell you what i heard about that situation and you and you feel good you get the hit now, Scott, are you saying that dopamine, the dopamine system in the brain is Paul's definition of the flesh? No, I'm not saying that. You actually need dopamine to function. It helps your blood vessels and sleep, movement, all kinds of things. I'm saying there's a way to operate in the world. This is what the Apostle Paul's saying. This is what John is saying. There's a way we can operate in the world where we set our minds on always getting satisfaction for whatever we are currently feeling. That could be something that we would typically name as very spiritual or it could be something sexual it's like, that, it, like the category is not the issue it's we are set on having our feeling whatever we're feeling in the moment be satisfied and that in fact the apostle paul if you read further into romans 8 he says we become governed by that way of life and we no longer even have the ability to please god because we frankly don't even want to you may have seen the, the documentary, it's powerful, uh, called The Social Dilemma. Um, the Social Dilemma is a documentary about social media. And if you watch it, I promise you're going to be shocked because it's all of the people who created Google, Facebook, Twitter. It's the, the actual creators of those platforms talking about how and why they created the platforms. And they talk about how they gamed the system so that you would want the dopamine hit, and it's why so many of us are just stuck to the phone, right? They know that we want the hit. They know, they know, they know, and they've got you governed. Now, it's important that we see how this works in the world, or we won't see what Jesus is trying to set us free from. And I want to give you two examples. They're pretty stark because this is actually not a minor problem. I'm not just talking about potato chips. Um, we could talk about some, uh, two big issues that I think we could all agree, man, if we could get rid of those, the world would be a better place. First one, I, I'm just going to say it like this. It's the, it's the sexual abuse of children for money. Now, we've euphemized that, and you know, we call it sex trafficking. But that's what it is. And, and here's, here's how that works. People have a desire, they have zero regulation of that desire, they fulfill that desire, and in doing that, an adult ruins the life of a child for life because of their desire. 
Now, do you, do you have any words that you would use to describe that scenario? I mean, I would word, use words like, that's thievery, um, that's killing, uh, that's destruction. If I, if I were to use a harsher word, I would say, that is hellish. And I think any person who's just sane at, at, at any level would just have to agree, like, we need to rid the world of that scourge, Right? Second, second I'll, give you, I'll give you another example. Um, genocide. I, I know we don't, you know, in the United States, but it's a thing that actually happens around the world. And, and, and here's how genocide works. People um, are afraid um, or they want control or they have hate toward a particular race or group. And sometimes all three of those things. And so they take that. They have, people have this desire. There's zero regulation of that desire. They fulfill that desire and they wipe out an entire people because of their desire. Now, what, what words would you use to describe that? I would use words like thievery and killing and destruction. And if I were to put a harsh word on it, I would say, that's hellish. And all of us would rightly say, well, we should rid the world of this and the people who do those things. Now, let's zero in on, on John 10.10. 10. John, Jesus is saying there in John 10.10 10, that he came to rid the world of those hellish realities, both now and forever. If you know the story of the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, God creates, in the first verse, God creates the heavens and the earth. Do you know what's not created there? Hell. Um, that, that's our creation. In fact, James, the brother of Jesus, writes a letter in the New Testament. He's talking about our tongue and the power of our words. And he says, if you don't give control over your tongue, it, what happens is it's lit on fire by hell. In other words, a current reality happens. I, I like how C.S. Lewis talks about hell. I'm not, I'm not trying to erase hell here. Just here, stay with me. C.S. Lewis says that hell is a monument, is God's monument to human dignity. If that's what you want, then that's what you can have. And, and we've focused on the forever component of that, and Jesus is saying, yeah, but you also need to focus on the now component of that. And so I, let me give it to you in a phrase. It's a little bit shocking, and I mean it to be shocking, um, and I mean it to be memorable, so I'm, I'm saying this on purpose, and I, and I, but it's the, if, you'll, if you'll listen to the, the realities of the words, it's actually the case. It's the truth. So you could say that Jesus came to push the hell out of the world, right? Now, we say to Jesus, like, Jesus, I mean, get rid of sex trafficking and the terrible people doing it. And Jesus, could you get rid of genocide and the terrible people doing it? I mean, Jesus, push that hell out of the world. And I don't know that you would get a person on planet Earth who is healthy and not psychopathic who would not agree with Jesus on that, but is a double-edged sword to ask Jesus to do that. Now, if you know Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is never satisfied to deal with the thing on the surface. He always goes to the root. So if you were to go to the root of sex trafficking, what would you find? You would find the flesh. You would find lust, which is I objectify another person for my own gratification. 
And, and Jesus is not just interested in the thing on the surface. He's interested in the thing on the root. And if you go to the root of genocide, what's at the root of that? It's things like pride and contempt and rage. So it's a double-edged sword. Here's what I mean. For Jesus to push the hell out of the world, that means that Jesus has to push the hell out of you and me. I may, I may not be involved in sex trafficking or genocide, and you might not either. I hope not. But I th- we're all involved at some level on, in lust and pride and contempt and anger, right? My sin has to be dealt with first. So there's the flesh. And then, then there's, John says, there's the world. Now, this is super problematic because if you know the gospel of John, John's the one who wrote John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever is, I mean, probably the most famous verse in the whole Bible. And then same John writes the letter, and in 1 John 2.15, he says, well, do not love the world. And you're kind of like, John, what, what's, what gives here? What, are you, what? Well, context determines meaning. So here's how he says it. He goes on when he says not to love the world. He says this, 1 John 2, 16 and 17, we'll put this on the screen, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes from the Father, uh, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So if, if my flesh is, is me, the, the world is, it's like the corporate flesh. The world is, so while the flesh is my sin, the world is our sin. And, and it's what we do is we together, we baptize the desires of our flesh. And we say, you know what? It's okay to have the lust of the flesh. And if you look at our society today, we've said, you can feel whatever you want to feel. It doesn't matter. Be true to you. Right? We've baptized that. Yeah, that's, that's fine. We agree that it all ought to happen that way. And, and the, the lust of the eyes, I mean, if, if you are as ambitious as the day is long and you will step on anybody, I mean, we will reward you when you get to the top. And we've just all agreed that it's fine to have that. Or the pride of life where you say how great you are and you, you're an influencer on Instagram and you're amazing and everybody loves you. And we just, we just baptize all of that whole thing. We, we together say it's just fine. We agree, yep, that's okay. Tomorrow, we'll nationally celebrate Martin Luther King's birthday. But, and, and this is an example. This is what Martin Luther King was trying to do. He was, he was trying to say t- to our society, hey, together you've made personal hate into corporate policy. That's the world. And, and people get crushed underneath that. You know, how we've labeled all desire okay. There are a whole slew of people who are crushed by that. And how we've labeled naked ambition is good. There are people crushed by that. And how we've labeled hubris is good. And there are people crushed by that. The world is the value system that we've all together embraced and bought into. And it's contrary to God's kingdom. We're going to talk about Jesus and the kingdom of God next week. But you go along with it. John says that you, you go along with it. And that's the world. And he said, if you, if you go that way, you're unleashing hate and hell and oppression. So the the flesh and the world are expressions of sin. And John says that Jesus appeared to take away our sins. Jesus came to push the hell out of the world. And then there's the devil. I mean, we kind of all, you know, yeah, of course the devil, you know, he's he's the master manipulator. And I would say, well, the flesh is my sin and the world is our sin. What the devil does is the devil manipulates sin. 
Uh, he's the liar. In fact, Jesus said, not only is he a liar, he's the father of all lies. He's the source of lying. Uh, the, the writers of the New Testament say that the devil, they, what he does is he masquerades as an angel of light. I know the popular picture is the devil has like a red suit and with horns and a long tail. And, 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 the, and the devil's a lot smarter than that. He's like, I'm not going to come to you like that. I'm going to come looking real smooth. And, and the devil knows his destiny is hell, and he wants to take as many people with him as he can. And so what he does in the present moment is unleashes hell on the world and wants to take you there with him while making you think you're in control the whole time. And John says the reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. There's, it's these gateways of evil and suffering in the world. I found this picture that kind of encapsulate for me encapsulates the flesh, the world, and the devil. It's this picture of a, a jockey on a thoroughbred at a racetrack. Think about the horse. The horse is the flesh, you know, that gets whipped and beaten. And, and the devil is the one riding the horse, whipping the horse. And, and the world is the whole system of betting that, you know, we, they're all a part of. It just, it, it, to me, it just makes this image. It's like, oh, yeah, the flesh, the world, and the devil. It'd be good if we got rid of that kind of thing. Now, again, these are all background for Jesus' statement of his purpose. Let's look at it again, John 10.10. 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And Jesus, in John 10, I would encourage you to read it later today, he gives this image or this metaphor for the world that in that day everyone understood. They'd seen. And it was a, of a sheep pen. I've got a picture of it for you here in the room and online as well. And it's, it's a metaphor for Jesus for the whole world and for you. The, the world is this sheep pen with sheep in it, you know, with the mess and such. And it needs guidance. And Jesus in John 10 says, listen, there's two options. Everybody's in the pen. You got two options. You can take me, or you can take the thief who's going to come over the wall and steal. But I promise you, Jesus says, I'm the shepherd of the sheep. There's one shepherd, it's Jesus. I'm the shepherd of the sheep. I protect the sheep. And in fact, he uses a phrase there. He says, I'm the gate. If you can see the picture there, there at the upper left corner is the gate. And at night, the shepherd would lay down right there. So no wolves could get in and no sheep could get out. It was uh, like, I'm going to keep you safe. And with me, the sheep in the pen, they have an abundant life, which means someone looks after them, takes them where they need to go. They come in and out and they find pasture, Jesus says. And this, this is Jesus' offer to the world. Listen, with me, you are completely safe and you can have a life that is abundant. In other words, you can go in and out, not be afraid all the time, not be gripped by fear. You can know that you're going to have enough. You know that someone has your back and is looking over you and protecting you. And that's me. I'm the good shepherd. Now, I want you to notice Jesus is not saying there, this is a there and then offer. Now, now if you will just accept my words, when you get to heaven, it'll all be fine. Though Jesus has places where he says that. Here, he's saying, this is for this moment in your life, this current reality in your life, and, and you have a choice to make. You can choose abundance, or you can choose killing and destruction and theft. Now, in John 10, who, who's the thief? Now, uh, yeah, of course the devil, right? 
Absolutely. But I want to suggest to you from John's other writings and from the whole message of Scripture that it's also, is it the devil? Yes. Is it my flesh? Yes. Is it the world? Yes. And the, the only reason those thieves come to the sheep pen is to steal and to kill and to destroy. And for many of us, we live in a reality where we feel like things have been taken from us. We've, we've had things stolen from us. We've had years stolen from us. We've had opportunities stolen from us. We've had hopes stolen from us. We live, we live in a reality where we feel like our dreams have been killed, where relationships have been killed, where there's been the destruction of our reputation or of our hope. Now, Again, we're looking at John 10 here in the words of Jesus. How do you keep the thief away? Well, fundamentally, if you read the whole narrative, that's the shepherd's job, not yours. Your job is to be in his pen as one of his sheep. (laughs) And then the shepherd does the job of protecting you from. You wrestle with that this week. Okay, so, uh, Scott, that's all. Okay, all right. What do we do? What do we do with this? I I got two things. One is an application for us as a church, and then the other is uh, for us as an application as as people, as individuals. The first one is, as we're looking at this series, we're saying, listen, if, if this is, if these are the words of Jesus, if this is the mission of Jesus, and the church is the body of Jesus, the body of Christ, then we're to continue the ministry and mission of Jesus in the world. And if Jesus did it, then we do it. And so if, if Jesus came to destroy the devil and all his evil works, and that's why Jesus came, well, okay, well then, you know what? That's what we do too. If Jesus came to push the hell out of the world, then that's what we do too. So next week, there'll be t-shirts that say, my church pushes the hell out of the world, and you can pick yours up next week. Some, some of you are like, is he serious? I don't, I don't know about that. No, there's not going to be a t-shirt. So we've been working through um, making some partnerships with, um, in our city, and uh, we have a partnership with Linwood Elementary. We have a partnership with Habitat for Humanity, Living Waters, Larry Lane. So many of you serve with that. We're building a partnership with Youth for Christ with um, young uh, moms, teenage moms, and then parents who have kids who are incarcerated. Um, we're building a partnership with the Kansas Food Bank, and we, we just have a goal over the next year of serving with those partnerships a hundred times. And we want you to do that. Because that's one of the ways we're going we're gonna to push the hell out of the world. Because where, wherever there is brokenness and sin, that's the place that Jesus is. So we're going to be there too. And then the second, I'm going to ask Sean if you can come. As we take the elements of communion, I want to invite you, if you hopefully you, you took these elements The reality for most of us is when you hear a message like this about the flesh and the world and the devil and you hear the picture painted and you go, oh, my word, I don't even know what to do. I mean, that's me. And we don't really know how to deal with those kinds of issues. I I just have wonderful news for you. 
the people that Jesus came for, for are the people who are in the flesh, have bought into the value system of the world, and are trapped by the devil. So if you go, yeah, I'm in one of those categories, well, I have wonderful news. Jesus came for you. Uh, it's why we take these elements as a reminder that it's the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross on our behalf that frees us. It's not anything we do. We just participate with God. It's the work of Jesus that sets us free. So if you're, if you're stuck in an addiction, man, Jesus is the one who breaks those chains. If you are fully bought into the value system of the world and you're just going along to get along, Jesus is the one who breaks those chains and gives you a different kingdom to live in. If you are under some form of spiritual attack by the enemy, guess what? Jesus, when he saw the enemy, he would say, be gone, and he would leave. You can be set free today. So I want to invite you um, in, a, in a very simple way. We're going to sing a song here in a minute. And as we sing that song, you're more than welcome to come down here. If you, if you say, I just need to, I need to have some space and some time to talk with the Lord about my own heart. I would invite you, as we receive these elements in a moment, to come forward to pray. We're going to sing a song. But would you take this bread? Would you remember that Christ's body was broken for you? Would you eat it and would you be thankful? And would you take this cup and remember that Christ's blood was shed for you on the cross to set you free. Would you take and drink it and be thankful? Would you stand with me as we sing? And if you'd like to come pray, please do that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for what you did in the present moment, what you are doing in this present moment to set us free. Thank you that we can have hope for eternity, that we can be with you forever. We are so grateful. Thank you that your power is not limited to there and then, but it's also for here and now. Thank you that it's for our addictions, Thank you that it's for the overturning of our value systems. Thank you that it's for freeing us from the power of the devil and from evil. Thank you. We receive that now, Lord. Pray this in your name.